Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information of sorts. I mean, we talk about all sorts of things on the podcast. We go over all things from fantasy football, NFL, just in general, UFC fights, um, movies, I mean... What don't we cover here? It's always fun on the Surprise Jab podcast. Coming off of a fun Labor Day weekend, got to go visit my girlfriend, uh, got to work on some homework, sadly, watched some, watched some UFC, which was lots of fun. Very good UFC Paris card, which we're going to be covering in full in this episode. Has a surprise episode um, as well dropped this weekend. Hope you all enjoyed that with uh, surprise guest Cole Walker. That was a very fun episode. Um, but yeah, today we got all sorts of things, as I mentioned. We're going to be reviewing UFC Paris. It was a very fun card, did very well on picks. Uh, we're going to be ranking Phase 4 of the MCU in our ranking of MCU things. We're going to be on Phase 4 movies, not the TV shows. TV shows suck. Maybe I could rank those, but I don't like a majority of them, except for Loki. That one's super good. Uh, we're going to be previewing Dana White's Contender Series Season 7, Episode 5, which, um, goes down tomorrow night live from the UFC Apex, five fighters, um, or ten fighters, I guess, five fights to see who will get a UFC contract, if any. We're going to be previewing the first NFL game of the season. I'm hoping to get a full breakdown of week one out. Um, we'll see if I can get that done before uh, Sunday or Thursday, I don't know, but we're going to be looking at the uh, Lions and Chiefs opener on Thursday. Um, and we're going to be looking at my two fantasy football teams I drafted. I'm going to let you guys know who I got. And uh, y'all can judge me because um, we'll, we'll, we'll just see. We'll get into all that. But um, let's kick off with um, some news that I found out today, found out yesterday. Um, first off, Laura Sanko is going to be the first ever woman to uh, commentate a UFC a pay-per-view this upcoming Saturday, July, July September 9th at uh, UFC 293 in Sydney, Australia. She'll be next to John Anik and Daniel Cormier, as usual. But congratulations for Laura. She's been honing her skills on Dana White's Contender Series as a commentator. I think she did one or two or three fight nights. And I'm just happy she's going to be uh, giving it her best shot. I wish her the best of luck. And it'll be a pleasure to hear her voice when I uh, watch Adesanya knock out Sean Strickland. Oh, that could be an early prediction. We'll see. I'll be dropping my full UFC 293 um, preview later this week. Speaking of which, um, Jared Cannonier is officially going to be the backup for this Saturday's main event between Sean Strickland and Israel Adesanya for the middleweight championship. He'll be flying down to uh, Sydney, weighing in. Good job for Jared, coming off a historic performance against Marvin Vittori, landing the most significant strikes in middleweight history. Um, I like the move uh, just because Jared... Missed out on the title shot here. Probably should have gotten it over Sean, but who am I to say? Just we'll see what's next for Jared. I could, I could, I don't even know what's next for Jared. We'll see what happens when Hamzat fights Paulo Costa in October. But good job, Jared, getting um, on the card somehow. And I believe he gets. I don't know if he gets paid. I think he does. We'll have to see. Last out of my UFC little news I have is the UFC 5, EA Sports UFC 5 reveal trailer will officially be dropping September 7th, this upcoming Thursday, at 11 a.m. Eastern, which will be 10 a.m. Central for all my Midwest folks. Very excited for that. They dropped this little teaser where it showed like Daniel Cormier, Bilal Muhammad, Michael Chandler, and Andre Olowski all reacting to it. It was so dumb. It looked so staged, but... 
It gets me hyped for UFC 5, which I believe is coming out October 27th, if the leakers are correct, which I believe they are. I'm excited for it, that's for certain. I'm really excited for the new uh, referee stoppages. Um, I've, I've been told that in the trailer it will reveal uh, the new like s- system where refs step in to stop a fight during like a TKO or like a submission or something, which I'll be happy about. I heard they're doing an online My Career of sorts and just a normal My Career. Uh, of course, a bunch of new fighters. I'm hoping they update the roster like never before. And I'm pumped. I'm really excited for UFC 5. It should be very, very, very exciting. And gosh, I have to wait. I've been doing like this final thing on UFC 4, which I have an ungoshly, uh, an unhealthy amount of time on UFC 4. But I'm doing like this final tournament for every weight class. And I'm nearing the end. I'm nearing the semifinals for all 11 weight classes. So if I, if I, UFC 5, if I can figure out how to record myself, maybe I'll upload some videos to the YouTube of me gaming. Who knows? Who knows? We'll be a gamer and a podcaster. How about that? I'll be like, um, who's someone that does that? I feel like everyone has a podcast nowadays. What am I saying? But yeah, let's, uh, let's dive in. We're going to kick off the show with my ranking of the MCU phase four movies. That's right. It's been fun ranking everything. Last episode was very fun ranking with um, Mr. Walker. Uh, we disagreed on some things. The live audience disagreed on some things. It was it was super fun. But yes, phase four, um, in my opinion, the worst phase. I, I consider maybe two of these movies worthy of top 15, one of them worthy of top 10 MCU movies. It was a rough phase, but it brought us... It was the post-COVID phase, so you can't really hate too much, but we'll still hate because a lot was expected out of almost all these movies, and I'll say only about two or three delivered, if I'm being honest. But let's dive in. There were seven movies, not TV shows. Um, we're not doing the TV shows, as I'll say, but seven movies. Uh, they went from July 2021 to November 2022, so a very short window just over a year but they bumped out seven movies in that time span seven movies in what is that like 15 months or something that's impressive let's kick off with uh, number seven which was the first movie after covid which was black widow black widow at my uh, worst mcu phase four movie at number seven you know I, I thought it was way better when I first watched it in the theater. I went with, I think, my girlfriend and her friends. It was a very random group I went with. Um, but it was my first post-COVID movie experience, and I think that's why I enjoyed it more. But after I rewatched it on my own, it is a brutal rewatch. The villain's not good. There are really no stakes in the movie. I mean, there's like, oh, all the Black Widows will be permanently stuck as a Black Widow. Oh, no. And just very awkward. Felt It felt like a forced movie, that's for sure. Like, okay, everyone's gotten their own show. Let's give Black Widow her own show. And give Hawkeye a TV series, which I'll say that the Hawkeye Disney Plus series is better than this movie, personally, in my opinion. Um, I will say I loved Red Guardian, David Harborough. Just an amazing actor. Love him. Stranger Things Season 5, when you drop in, I really want to see that. Um, Yelena was super good. Love her. She was also in Hawkeye. She's, I think she's been in a couple shows. Uh, but yeah, very bad CGI, just not the best, and you know, it is what it is, and it did introduce some new characters, but R.I.P. Black Widow, not the best movie. At number six, we have Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, that's right, it is at my number six spot. I hear people say it's better than the first movie, that is just a lie. The first movie is very good, this movie was mid, it was a five out of ten, six out of ten movie, Nothing bad, really. 
nothing good really. It it was pretty much like, oh, that's the movie. Oh, okay, yeah, it was a movie, yeah. And apparently they're making a third one, like Doctor Strange in the Quantum Multiverse Dark Realm, whatever. I don't know, but who knows if that'll get made. Um, I, I think the issue with this is it was a, spec- a lot of it was expected out of this. I'm talking, we thought we were going to see Tobey Maguire. We thought we were going to see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. We thought we were going to see Tom Cruise as Superior Iron Man. We thought we were going to see just so many different cameos. And in reality, we only have like five little cameos. It was, it was very lame. No, I, no I, at times I didn't even know what was going on. Very, very odd pacing. That's what you get when Sam Raimi's directing. Um, good horror in it. It did add that aspect. It was probably the most glorious, most violent MCU movie, which I did enjoy. Um, it was nice to see the Illuminati. It was kind of lame watching them get easily ripped apart. But hey, that's how it is. This did downplay. That what what has happened post Avengers Endgame is that they've been downplaying Thanos. Like in this movie, they just saw Thanos killed, and they said. Doctor Strange killed him easily. Okay, well, if that's the case, then that just erases the entire Infinity Saga, which is super lame. Um, I did expect a lot of this. A very weird ending. It had, like, Doctor Strange, like, getting a third eye to end it, just walking down the street. And then in a post credit scene, he was fine. It was so weird. Um, Wanda as the villain was super complicated because we're like, oh, we just watched her be a villain, but we like her. But we're supposed to not like her in this scene. Oh, she's supposed to be a redeemer, and she apparently redeemed died in the end but i don't think she died i don't know i a third movie could maybe redeem this but honestly not the best movie i would not rewatch it i think actually i've only seen it once i've only seen it once speaking of a movie i've only seen once moving into my number five movie black panther wakanda forever another movie where apparently they might be making a third one i don't feel they need a third one this movie was already in development when Chadwick Boseman unfortunately passed away. He was kind of what made Black Panther Black Panther. <sighs> really, really miss him. He was such a good actor, such a good human. But cancer's done. Cancer's a B word, man. Um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Very long movie. Very long. It oof, interesting pacing. It, the pacing wasn't too bad. Um, the villain was the peak of this film. Namor was a great villain. It was cool seeing the underwater kingdom he was from, which was like the Atlantis of the MCU. Um, it did its best with Chadwick dying. I can't hate on it too much. Uh, what's his name? Cooley, Ryan Cooley, whoever directed it. He definitely tried to work around it. But I mean, we kick off the movie with like showing like his Black Panther, Chadwick's death, but not showing his death. It was like an off-screen death, but like it was happening. Super weird. Super kind of emotional to start the movie. And then, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, they kill his mom. They killed him and Shuri's mom, like the Queen of Wakanda. And it was kind of like, oh, I, I don't really care that she's dead. I still care that Chadwick Boseman actually died. But it was just to build up Shuri's character. And she's, a, she's an okay Black Panther. You know, good for her. She's, she's one of the few women characters I can tolerate. I actually enjoy her. But, man, that final battle scene was brutal, brutal CGI. I did not like they were trying to introduce a new Iron Man. What was it? Ironheart or whatever. I did not care for that. I'm still getting over Robert Downey Jr. I don't need someone else to replace him. Uh, yeah, not, it just did its best, but not as good as the first. Not even close to the first. Then both Doctor Strange and Black Panther 2, they both did not come close to their predecessor. Moving into my number four, Thor Love and Thunder. 
a movie I also agree is a 6 out of 10, maybe a 7 out of 10 if I'm in a super happy Marvel mood and can rewatch it. But Thor Love and Thunder, just like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, just like Doctor Strange, just like Black Widow, very just regular, just a regular movie. And apparently they're making a Thor 5 and it's going to have the most powerful villain Thor's ever faced or something. I have no idea. But Takia Waititi... Is going to be directing Thor 5. He directed Thor Ragnarok. He also directed Thor Love and Thunder. And I consider Thor Ragnarok a top 5, top 10 MCU movie. Apparently that's a controversial opinion. I don't think it is. Like Thor Ragnarok stands out from all the other Thors by a long shot. But this one is honestly tied for maybe the worst. <laughs> maybe like the, the Thor movies besides Ragnarok are all just kind of... This was way too goofy. This was full Marvel comedy. There was no serious what's no seriousness at all in this movie, and it ruins Christian Bale as a villain because right from the get go, he's a villain. But we don't we feel bad for him. It's like yeah, he's killing these gods, but like the first god he kills is like some sun god, and he's like mean to him. So it's like we don't feel bad that he's a villain. He looks cool as a villain. Just a super odd take. I will say the take on like child kidnapping and then rescuing them i did like that you know they like to bring social issues i like that they tackled cancer and they tackled um child trafficking so i do give takia watiti credit for that just as like an underlying message i think the same thing with uh, guardians of the galaxy volume three where they brought that message so i really do enjoy that um you can't really hate thor thor still is amazing even if he's in a bad script natalie portman was pretty good in this movie but man kia also threw himself into a major role with um What's his name? The Rock Man. I can't remember. Gorg or whatever. I can't remember his name. There was like a moment where he should have died. Like it was like it would have been a great point for him to die, which would have given Thor like anger. But he just revived himself. And then he made his character gay just to be progressive. So not much to say from Thor Love and Thunder. Just a super, super mid movie. Thor gets gets like a daughter in the end of it. I will probably never rewatch this movie. And let's get into my top three, which I know is going to be a bit controversial with uh, number three and two, maybe. I don't know. I, 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 when I was looking at all the movies, this is how it came out. I actually I went over the mess. And I'm like, okay, this is actually how I'm ranking these movies. And number three, a Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 4 movies. I have Eternals. And I know people consider Eternals one of the worst MCU movies. But I mean, I think Eternals is better. Then Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse Mass, and Black Widow. I think it's also more rewatchable than all those movies. I do believe it is overhated. It's certainly not the best MCU movie. It might crack my top 20, might not. I don't even know. Probably top 25, I would say. But it certainly has the best imagery, best scenery in the MCU. The shots of just landscape is just amazing in this film. Excellent CGI. I wish the other four movies below this would take a look at this movie that you can do CGI correctly. Uh, The plot holes do kind of hurt in this, that there's like no Avengers when a Celestial is breaking out of the Earth, and it is still yet to be mentioned in the MCU, despite having multiple movies. So I have no idea what's going on with that. Um, A very good final battle I enjoyed. There was like a lame villain or something. The plot twists in this were kind of, they went crazy on plot twists. But this movie, this is one of the movies where it had a gay character and it worked. You know, it didn't feel forced like Thor, Love, and Thunder. When they, and they just kept throwing gay characters at you, this movie doesn't. It makes you go, oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with that in the sense of the movie. I just always noticed that Marvel's push, always trying to push an agenda of sorts, especially Disney. Apparently this movie is getting a sequel, 
I, I don't know what they could potentially do for a sequel, but certainly I would want to see it. I mean, it ended with a cliffhanger. It ended with a huge cliffhanger. And then in the post credit scenes, it added two more cliffhangers. Just crazy. Um, it had Harry Styles in this movie as a post credit scene. I don't know what was up with that. It did have Kit Harrington though. Jon Snow, love my boy. When will George R.R. R. Martin drop the final book of The Song and Ice of Fire? Or not even the final book. The Winds of Winter is the six of seven books. So I always love... Uh, also, Snow. When are we getting that HBO Max? Or just Max? When are we getting the, that spinoff of Jon Snow? But love seeing him. He'll be back. Honestly, Eternals is overhated, and it is number three on my list. Moving into my top two, drumroll please. Number two is Shang-Chi. That is right, and Shang-Chi is apparently getting a sequel, and Shang-Chi is going to be one of the faces of the upcoming Marvel saga, so I love it. I love Simu Lee. I thought he was a great addition. And this is how you perfectly integrate a whole new culture, this like ancient warrior, Asian culture of sorts. I loved it. I thought it was done perfectly. And this movie surprised me, even in the theater, when I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually going great. Excellent pacing, good final battle. And it was the CGI kind of crazy at the end, yeah, but I didn't mind it. And even if it was a run-of-the-mill MCU movie, I enjoyed the ride. It had a hilarious opening where you think it's... um him getting out of like a sports car and it turns out that he's actually the valet i love that scene uh, the villain was great i kind of wish the final battle was him versus his dad who was the villain um what's his name the um oh my gosh i can't remember mandarin yes he, he was such a good villain and the rings are gonna be like the next big powerful thing in the mcu i love it man i could i think i've seen shang chi twice i would watch it again soon that is a very good movie a very odd ending too where um Wong pulls up a portal and comes and gets him and, uh, what's her name? Aquafina? Is that her? I can't remember, unfortunately, but Shang-Chi, very good at number two, but is not my number one. It is not my number one. My number one, I feel, should be obvious. It should be everyone's number one for MCU Phase 4. Spider-Man, no way home. One of the best. One of the best movies. And I mean, it caps off a trilogy of Spider-Man that I honestly think is the best Spider-Man trilogy. I know that Spider-Man 1 or Spider-Man 2, like the OG with uh, Toby, like those are probably the best Spider-Man movies, but best trilogy goes to the MCU. I mean, the theater experience here, I'll honestly say was maybe my favorite top two or three. This was an amazing theater experience, without a doubt. So hype, so emotional towards the end, so many emotional moments. I mean, it... And it was like, it's like the, it was at one point like my number two MCU movie. Like I've honestly edited my list a bit. It's probably like towards the bottom of my top 10. But man, just all the villains coming back, all the plot lines, they're able to tie them together, introducing new characters. I mean, I was all for it. Great arc for Spider-Man's character. And let's not pretend like the ending doesn't, leave you just shocked that there is no one knows who he is anymore and he has to move on now and it's just it's kind of emotional he doesn't have ned anymore he doesn't have mj so and apparently we're getting a new trilogy coming out soon with still tom holland but we'll see because tom holland did say he's taking a break from acting so i don't really know what's going on with that but spider-man no way home is such a good movie it does get i wouldn't say worse but it gets less as amazing the more times you rewatch it but that first time rewatching it, man, first time watching it in the theater, so, so amazing. It's hard to describe when you have a certain theater experience. It's hard to articulate that into even words because it's, it's like you feel this movie 
like coming into you and just taking over your mind and all the feelings of the emotions, the the laughs, the big um how do I put it? Not jumps, like um but like not the climax, but just like when a new when an OG character such as been Andrew Garfield or Toby McGuire comes to the portal and you go, Oh my gosh, this actually happened or Matt Murdock pulls up or you have all the villains in a final battle. Or you have a redeem every character was redeemed in this movie. All the villains were redeemed. And it was it was such a blast. And I could I just I can't even put words together. Spider-Man No Way Home. If you've never seen it, go watch it. An excellent MCU movie. But that's my list, guys. Number one, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number two, Shang-Chi. Number three, The Eternals. Number four, Thor Love and Thunder. Number five, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Number six, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And number seven, Black Widow. Obviously not the not the greatest phase, but there's certainly some fun moments. You can go through every single movie and pick out at least some good out of it, even if there's some bad. But yeah, that's my ranking there. And I'll complete all the official phases we have. Phase five is still rolling along, so I don't know if I can rank those movies yet. I think there's only been one or two, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I think it's just been um, Ant-Man 3 and Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So I don't know what to rank next. Should I do the TV shows? I could maybe do the TV shows. I don't know. I'm going to have to find something else to rank. But, hey, it's been fun ranking these. And it gives us something to talk about. It gives us content, as people say. Let's uh, segue into our next thing, and that is football. That's right. We're going from MCU to football. I know. What what a good way to segue, Zach. Just, just, just jump right into it. So the NFL season does kick off this Thursday. Thursday is going to be a good day. My final day of class for the week, I get to, actually I'm going to be probably recording another podcast episode, the trailer for UFC 5 drops, the reveal trailer, and then the first NFL game. Gosh, it's going to be a good day. Maybe I'll order a pizza and have a few cold ones. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? Um, But yeah, the NFL season kicks off this Thursday with the Detroit Lions taking on the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. Man, I'm so happy football's back. It's so fun watching all the games, going over to the boys' house, having some cold ones, checking your fancy team. I mean, typical man activities. <laughs> Honestly, to be stereotypical, it's obvious that's how it goes. But I did take some notes to inform you guys about the season opener because like, you may be thinking, who would I pick, the Lions or the Chiefs? How do they even decide that? They don't really, but... Let me just lay it on you. The Super Bowl winner has hosted the opening um, season opener of the NFL in the in nine of the ten last seasons. So, I mean, you pretty much go through a majority of the last ten Super Bowls. Winners, they played in the opening game to kick off the NFL, which I always think is a good move because it always brings in more viewers, and it's always exciting. Um, so the Lions and Chiefs, they've actually only played each other 14 times in the history of the NFL. I find that crazy. I feel like they've played each other more, but they haven't. I mean, out of the 14 times, Chiefs have won nine times. The Lions have won five times. So Chiefs got the leg up on them. Um, the last time they actually played was in 2019. They won 30. Uh, the Chiefs won 34 to 30 at Detroit. Before that, the last time they had played before that was 2015. So, I mean, it's been four years, four-year gap between when these teams play. And I guess I suppose with the we really ever have the NFC North versus the AFC West, which I feel they should do because I would love for the Vikings to take on the Chiefs. Stop giving us the Eagles on primetime games. That's just terrible, just terrible. 
Uh, but yeah, the Chiefs, super looking, super good. I mean, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, you got Isaiah Pacheco, you got Jerick McKinnon's back, you got Kadarius Tony. How will he do this season? Sky Moore back at the wide receiver slot. Whew, team is looking good as always. Um, so yeah, the Chiefs have won the last two meetings in 2019 and 2015 with the Lions. Before that, the Lions had actually won a bit. Um, they actually had first played each other in 1971 with the Lions winning 32-21. to Wow. Let me just tell you guys something crazy. 1971 was, I, I did the math, what was it, 52 years ago? That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. 52 years ago. That's right, right? I don't know. I think my math is adding up. I do not know. 29 plus 23 is 52. Yes, my math is right. I shouldn't second guess myself, especially when I write down notes and then I go to read them off and I second guess myself. But since 2002, home teams are 16 and 5 in NFL kickoff games, which is what the first game of the season is. So my money's on the Chiefs for this. They're actually a 6.5 point favorites for this. And the Chiefs have. The Chiefs, uh, the last time they opened was in 2020, where they beat the Texans on Thursday Night Football 34-20 to at home. All signs are pointing to the Chiefs to win this one, but I mean, the Lions, a whole a brand new team for the Lions this year. And I mean, Jared Goff still behind the, um, the reins as the QB. I think he's finally coming into himself of sorts as the leader. I mean, you have, uh, oh, who's the... Who's the rookie, guys? Who is the... Um, Jameer Gibbs. I saw he was going in fantasy drafts. Jameer Gibbs, uh, definitely going to be a interesting person to watch this season. I mean, of all the rookies, he's one of the top running backs, besides, obviously, like, Bijan Robinson of sorts. But it'll be interesting to see him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how David Montgomery does. I think I actually have him on one of my fantasy teams. I can't recall. But I don't know if they're going to give him or Gibbs touches first. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is actually the backup in Detroit. If you guys did not know that, that's super fun. I love Teddy Bridgewater. Vikings Vikings OG back when we used to play at the uh, Huntington Bank Stadium. At the, that's where the Gophers play. Uh, man, who, who else do they got? Who else is on this roster that's going to be making an impact? Uh, Gardner Johnson, defensive back. It'll be interesting to see how he does. Steven Gilmore. OG, oh, man, the Lions team actually looking pretty good. Aiden Hutchinson, obviously. Marvin Jones Jr., still on the team. And let me name one more player for all my Lions fans. Uh, Craig Reynolds, running back. And Josh Reynolds, wide receiver. And obviously, Amon Ross St. Brown, of course. Cannot forget about Amon Ross St. Brown. Honestly, I would take Amon. He's probably going to be a dog in uh, the uh, fantasy realm. And the Lions are going to be super good. But I do not think they're going to beat the Chiefs. To give you guys a prediction, honestly, I'm rocking with the Chiefs by like 14. I think they can. If they're going to be at home. They're coming off of a Super Bowl victory, a huge Super Bowl victory. And they have beaten them. The Lions have not beaten the um, probably since 2011. I don't think the Lions have beaten the Chiefs since 2011. So we'll be riding with the Chiefs, but we'll be doing a full breakdown of all the... Um, matchups this week and we're also tomorrow tuesday september 
looks at the calendar, fifth, we'll be having a virtual guest. So if the audio does sound kind of wonky, it's because our um, next guest will be uh, zooming in, if you want to call it. We'll be just doing a video conference. So it's going to be super fun to have him on. We're going to be talking a lot about the NFL and probably doing a full breakdown of all the matchups. So yeah, that should be super fun. And yeah. Stay tuned for that. But yeah, we're riding with the Chiefs. All all signs point to a Chiefs victory, which is usually when the Lions win. They have this thing on the ESPN app called Eliminator, where it's like if you can pick a matchup every week, you stay alive in the NFL, and whoever predicts all like 18 games or whatever, or seven, 18 weeks or 17 weeks or whatever, um, you, you get like a prize potentially. And I've done it the last two years. And I have been out in week one in both of them. And my pick this year is the Chiefs to beat the Lions. So I'm really hoping the Chiefs win. And honestly, in fantasy, I do have some uh, Chiefs players, which I'm actually going to talk about right now. That's right. I did two fantasy football drafts yesterday, Sunday, September 3rd. And let me tell you all about my teams. Because I honestly, I love doing fantasy football drafts. I'll join as many leagues as I can. Probably, honestly, one of my greatest accomplishments is winning a 12-man fantasy football league. And let me just tell you, it is not easy to win a fantasy football league. I understand that people who don't play it do not understand the amount of work that goes into it. It drives friendships apart. It makes watching football a chore. It makes it difficult at times. And it can kill your mood or it can lift up your mood. The highs and lows go 50-50. That's why we play. That's why we play. Yeah, I've been playing fantasy football now for eight years. I find that crazy. I find that crazy. I started when I was 12, and now I'm 20. So eight years. Eight years of fantasy football. I have won many leagues. But this year, I'm in three leagues. I actually have a fantasy draft Wednesday with all the Mankato boys. That's where I go to college. Minnesota State Mankato, if no one listens to any other episodes. But yeah, I did a family draft, just a small family one. My parents, my cousins, two of my cousins. Or actually, it's three of my cousins. Wow. Six of us. So this is a six-man. I call it the All-Star League, the Family All-Star League. Uh, six man, I, it was four for years past, but I had two more of my cousins this year, just to, so it wasn't a four man, four man, you just, I'm like, oh, I played you three weeks ago, but at least for six, it adds two more to the rotation, but I always like it because you always have somewhat stacked teams, so this is my team, I drafted from the fourth position, this team is going to be stacked, obviously, but I'll talk about it. I don't have the order. I mean, I do have the order, probably on the ESPN app, but I just have my team written out in front of me, so. My quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. You know I had to snag Patrick Mahomes. And in both my fantasy drafts, I elected to take a good quarterback early because last year I got stuck with Geno Smith at one point. And as good as Geno Smith is, he was not the quarterback to be leading my helm. I mean, in one league I had Jalen Hurts, who was amazing. Actually, I think I had Jalen in two leagues. But then in another league, I was going week to week trying to find a QB. I think at one point I had Baker Mayfield in. I, it was it was rough last year, so I, I went for some star QBs in both my leagues. So, yeah, Patrick Mahomes will be manning the ship. My backup QB is actually Dak Prescott. I know a lot of people are questionable how Dak's going to do this year. I trust he's going to do good. Plus, this is a six-man. If I want to drop Dak and get a decent quarterback, he, there's always someone available. But we'll see. Patrick Mahomes hopefully will not get injured. My starting running back is Derek Henry. wasn't even... I think I took him with my number two or number three pick. I mean, Derrick Henry, one of the top running backs, a beast. Uh, the Titans, if Ryan Tannehill is still quarterback, I think they're still going to be going Derrick Henry heavy on the offense. Um, injuries sometimes hold Derrick back, but I'm still riding with them. 
My RB2 is Travis Etienne. I honestly have really high hopes for Travis this season. The Jaguars are looking to be very good this year. I feel like he can be good in the pass um, and catch, also on the run. Love him. I love him, man. I know they drafted a new backup or signed a new backup or something, but I'm still riding with you, Travis. Uh, My flex, actually my flex right now is a wide receiver. So my backup running backs, I do have quite a few we, we snatched up Damian Pierce on the bench. I know people are going to laugh. They're going to be like, this guy's got Damian Pierce on the bench. What a joke. It's a six-man all-star league. This is for fun, okay? This isn't competitive. Um, Damian Pierce back for the Texans. Really hoping he can come into his shell of sorts. He had a couple of breakout games last year, but other than that, a lot of duds. One of my other running backs on my bench is Miles Sanders. going to be interesting to see how he does. I figured I'd pick him up in case he decides to just be an absolute baller. For the Panthers, and if he's not, I'll drop him and scoop up someone else. I actually have two more running backs on my bench. I went running back heavy on the bench. We got James Cook. That's right. I don't know how James is going to do on the Bills. I mean, he's going to be up in the air. You got Damian Harris also in the backfield. You got, uh, I believe, Latavius Murray also. He's on the Bills now, I believe. And it'll be interesting to see James had a couple good performances last year when he was able to get some touches, but now he's a starter. Now he's a focal point of the offense. Bills are going to be a one. Bills are have a lot to prove this year. I'm telling you, the Bills have a lot to prove. They have just been so. They're supposed to have been the that team. There's, I feel like they're what they what the Chiefs are that we thought the Bills were going to be like two or three years ago, and they've yet to come into that fold. So, we'll be interesting to see how James Cook does. And I, you know, I had to pick up his older brother, Dalvin Cook. I mean, I figured if if um. Brees Hall gets hurt, I mean, I am throwing Dalvin Cook in the lineup. I mean, he could easily be a flex player. And who knows? He could even beat out Brees Hall for the starting position. I think for week one on ESPN, um, Fantasy Football, him and Brees are both projected like 14 points. So even the app doesn't know who they're going to be running a majority with. Moving into my wide receivers, I snagged Garrett Wilson as wide receiver one. He did super good last year under, who do you have, Mike White, Zach Wilson. I think he had Joe Flacco for a bit. But now he's got Aaron Rodgers. And all I need to do is look at how Christian Watson did last year with Aaron Rodgers. And now Aaron Rodgers, I think he's gotten a team upgrade. Garrett Garrett Wilson has a QB upgrade. I I expect big things out of Garrett Wide receiver two, Chris Olave, man. I picked up Chris last year. He was an absolute dog before he got hurt. Saints, got he got big QB upgrade, getting Derek Carr down there. He loves to throw it deep. No, just look at the Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, some of the catches those two have had to make with from Derek Carr. He loves to throw the ball. I think Chris Olave is going to be a, a touchdown machine and definitely a deep catch machine. My, um, my, was this my number one? This was actually my number one pick, guys. Or my number four pick, my round one pick for this league was Travis Kelsey. That's right. I I had to do it, guys. I had the number four pick. He was right in front of me. I think it was either him or McCaffrey. And I was like, McCaffrey, I love you, but you've let me down three years in a row now. I'm sorry. I got to go with Kelsey. And from what I've seen, Kelsey is such a good ad. He is miles ahead of other tight ends. And I just love having him on my team. That Mahomes and Kelsey connection. Hopefully we'll rack up some points in the All-Star Fun League. My current flex is Debo Samuel. It'll see how he, I'll see how he does this year with um, Brock Purdy under center. Um, man, he's also got, he's got Pete McCaffrey. even got freaking Elijah Mitchell back there. You got Brandon Ayuk. I mean, it's going to get crowded on the 49ers. I mean, Kittle, 
But we'll see how he does. Debo's currently in my flex. We'll see if I change that. I mean, I got options for my f- for who I'm going to throw in. I mean, I could put in Damian Pierce, Miles Sanders, Dalvin Cook, James Cook easily. But Debo is currently in my flex. My back wide receivers, Scary Terry. Uh, I just wanted to pick up Terry McLaurin. He's been good in years past. Obviously, he's being kind of slept on this year, I feel, with Sam Howell now as QB, but I, I do enjoy Scary Terry, and he always makes big catches. And my other backup was Chris Godwin. He was right in front of me. I didn't want to go too doubting, especially in a 6 fit league and take someone else. I don't know how the Bucks are going to be this year with Baker Mayfield, but if I need to drop him, I can in the 6-man league. My defense is the Patriots. I really like the Patriots' defense. They were number one last year in fantasy points, I believe, or top four. Maybe it was fourth. I really do like them. They haven't made too many changes, which I think can be good. Bill Belichick is a defensive master. My only issue is I don't really want to drop them, but in round week one they play the um, the Eagles. So I may have to drop someone like Terry McLaurin for a different defense. And just hope no one picks them up because I don't really want to drop the Patriots defense. But I also don't want to play them against the Eagles. So it'll be interesting to see what choice I make. And my kicker is Jason Myers. I think he was the one that placed fourth last year. Seahawks kicker. Racked up a lot of points. And I honestly feel that in a stadium like Seattle, they'll be kicking a lot. So happy to have Jason Myers on the team. I'm honestly happy for this league. This league's always fun. I always do get competitive with everything I do. But it's a six-man league, so what can you do? Let's move into a 12-man league. That's right. This is a legit league, as we'll say. We'll go top to bottom from my starting position to my bench. And, yeah, this is just a random league I made. I had a bunch of people, I think a couple of my buddies, a couple of kids I somewhat talked to, my girlfriend's in it. Uh, Did I throw my cousin in here? I can't even remember. I threw so many different people in this league. But I was the number one pick since I created the league, and I was thinking in my other two leagues, I'm like picks four and five, so I'm not even going to edit it. I'm going to keep the number one pick. And I'm sure you know who I picked, but we'll start from the top with my QB, Jalen Hurts. That's right, I had to snatch up Jalen Hurts in the 12, man. I Last year, guys, I'll tell you, I had a, stretches. I was going with Mitchell Trubisky some weeks. I was going with Zach Wilson. I was going with Geno Smith. He was getting hurt. I was going with Kenny Pickett. It was, it was a disaster in the QB realm for me last year. So in this league, I saw Jalen Hurts in round two, and I went after him. Was it smart? Definitely not. Definitely was not a smart move. But someone had just taken Mahomes right before this, and I was like, you know what? I'm going with Hurts. Okay, had to do it to him. My RB1 is Alexander Madison. Definitely not the most popular pick, but I you have to remember, there were weeks last year and the year before where Dalvin Cook was out, and Madison was dropping 22-point games, 26-point games. And now he's RB1 in Minnesota. I mean, obviously he has some competition in Ty Chandler, but... Miles Gaskins, but right now he's RB1. If he's healthy for week one, he'll definitely be in. If not, I can work around it. My RB2 is David Montgomery. I figured I would throw David a bone when I drafted him. I was thinking, you know, he, him and Gibbs, one or the other will get the nod. And if it's not Montgomery, I can throw him down. But I feel like Montgomery will be big on the line. He is good at bouncing to the edge and running. Oh, man, and he... Honestly, the Bears, I do feel bad for him that they let him go, but I feel like on the Lions, he'll have a better chance of uh, making the playoffs, making a little run. My wide receiver won, obviously, Justin Jefferson. I had to draft my boy. I'm a Vikings fan. JJ, before everything, I will get toasted in fantasy by JJ. 
before I go against him. I will never go against a Vikings player. They can torch me on Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, Thursday Night Football all day. I will always cheer for the Vikings. And I had to get him in one league. Especially having him in a 12-man league is so nice. I'm just, I'm so happy I got JJ on the team. And yeah, he's my wide receiver one. My wide receiver two, I drafted right after Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith. I love the connection between Devontae and Jalen Hurts. I know people saying like A.J. Brown is going to get some more touches, but I truly feel Jalen Hurts has found some with Devontae Smith. Got that Alabama connection. I don't even know if they played together at Alabama, but very happy to have Devontae. And he's one of the top 10 wide receivers for this um, for this uh, fantasy draft. That's like ranked this year, if you know what I'm saying. My tight end, I ended up with Dalton Schultz. It was either between him or Tyler Higby, and I was thinking, okay, Matthew Stafford, who could get hurt, or Dalton Schultz on a new team with a young QB who might not want to throw it too deep at times. Dalton Schultz, a great dump-off option. I loved him with the Cowboys. I'm happy to have him on the team. And this is one of the rare years where I have not, I do not have a kicker, a defense, or a tight end on my bench. It's one QB, like wide receivers and running backs, so... Dalton, one week I'll have to drop someone random when you're on a bye, but I'm really hoping he can come into it. Top five tight end, hopefully. I mean, you got Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Pat Frommuth could be a dog, TJ Hawkinson, Tyler Higby, as I mentioned, but I really feel Dalton Schultz is up there in the mix. My flex currently is Tyler Lockett. I I didn't even reach on him. He fell to me just when he was projected to fall to me. And I was thinking, you know what? A lot of the fancy people, they like to hate on Tyler Lockett. They like to say he's old, that his time has passed. But I like Tyler Lockett. He's a Monday night Monday night madness, man. Oh, my gosh. He'll, he'll rack up some points on a Monday night for you. And I'm not ready to give up on him. Obviously, you got DK Metcalf in the mix in Seattle. But, hey, he's in at my flex. And when I read you my bench, let me know if I should switch out some players. My defense in this league is the Patriots. They fell to me again in the late rounds. And I was like, okay, I have them in my six, man. I'm taking them here. But I do not want to have Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. So I cannot play the Patriots D in round one. So I'm going to have to drop someone from my bench. I think I know who I'm going to drop, but we'll see. Um, My kicker, I went with Tyler Bass. I could have taken Jason Myers, but I was like, you know what? I already have the Patriots D again. I don't want the same kicker. So I'm going to go with the Bills kicker. Love Tyler Bass. He's missed some big kicks before, but the Bills rack up a lot of points and get in the red zone a lot. So he should be getting some points. So here's my bench for the 12-man league. I... Honestly, I like it personally. I don't. I, don't, I was reading some else on my bench like that bench sucks, but you know what? I like it. My running back. So this is just down my bench. So in the six man, I was RB heavy on the bench. In this league, I'm wide receiver heavy on the bench. My RB Isaiah Pacheco. That's right. I got the Chiefs apparent number one running back. Um, it's gonna be either be him or Jarek McKinnon. I'm happy to have him. I might throw him in my flex over Tyler Lockett. I see how I'm feeling before Thursday. But yeah, happy he fell to me, and I just had to go with him compared to some other options. One of the wide receivers on my bench is Jordan Addison. That is right. You know, I got JJ on the team. I was thinking, you know, maybe if Jordan Addison's breaking out this year, I'll scoop him up. I already got JJ. I love that, having two Minnesota wide receivers. But hey, he's a rookie. It'll be interesting to see. Think about how JJ was as a rookie. Maybe J.A. will break out. Are we going to call Jordan Addison J.A.? Maybe it was called Madison. I like Addison better. And um, one of the running backs on my bench, actually the last running back on my bench, is Devin Singletary. That's right. I, I was I was like, you know what? He's sitting right there. He was 50-50 last year. Some games he would pop off. Some games he would be mid. I will happily have you on my bench, Devin Singletary. He was in my starting lineup last year. So I'm happy to have him. I completely 
and mind-blanking as we're speaking what team he's on. It was all I was talking about yesterday. I'm truly trying to think. Uh, he's on the Texans, isn't he, guys? He's on the Texans. Yes, let me. Yes, he is on the Texans. He'll be backing up Damian Pierce. And, hey, if Damian Pierce is sucking or he gets hurt like he did last year, Devin Singletary is your guy. And like I always say, when there's a rookie QB, I always like taking running backs because they usually will have the running backs run if the QB's sucking. So I'm happy to have you, Devin. Another wide receiver on my bench is Alan Lazard. He was up there, and I was thinking, you know what? Obviously, Garrett Wilson is going to be catching a lot of passes from Aaron Rodgers, but this is an OG guy from um, the Packers with A-Rod. And Alan Lazard, good backup. If a couple guys get injured, he'll definitely move up the ranks. And if not, he can happily chill on my bench. Another wide receiver I elected to go for, which I heard was a sleeper, I was saying... I was hearing don't draft him. I was hearing draft him from multiple different accounts, but I decided to go with him. Former U of M standout from the Gophers, wide receiver Rashad Bateman. That is right, guys. I had to go with another Minnesota boy. And man, even though he's on the Ravens, he was still a stud in college, and he could easily ascend to wide receiver one, depending on how the season goes for the Ravens. So if not, he can sit on my bench. Like I said, I don't mind having these guys sit on my bench. Plus, if I feel like if I drop him, no one will pick him up, especially since I'll need to switch out someone for when I get rid of the Patriots D, which I really should get on. I should really, I'm should i actually going to mark that on my uh, calendar right now to check my teams before um, the game on Thursday or even Sunday. So we'll double check that. My last wide receiver on my bench is Zay Jones. Zay Jones was an absolute dog last year, occasionally for the Jaguars, but now that you got Calvin Ridley, now that you, he's, he's like wide receiver three or four now on the Jaguars. I figured if one guy falls out, if he moves up the ranks, I'll have him, all right? Didn't really matter too much to me. I was happy to have you, Zay Jones. And my backup QB is CJ Stroud, just because I wanted to draft him. There was like, I couldn't take him or like Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, and I was like, you know what? If CJ's a dog, I'll, I'll take him, but he's probably going to be the guy I drop when I need to pick up a new defense or something. Because, I mean, I don't expect too much from him. But I honestly do think he's going to do better than Bryce Young. That's my maybe a controversial take. Maybe just a take. That's that's my thoughts on him. So, yeah, this is my 12-man random league from the number one position draft. We got Jalen Hurts, Alexander Madison, David Montgomery, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Smith, Dalton Schultz, Tyler Lockett, the Patriots D, Tyler Bassett, kicker, Isaiah Pacheco on the bench, Jordan Addison on the bench, Devin Singletary, Alan Lazard, Rashad Bateman, Zay Jones, and CJ Strode. Both my leagues are PPR, so will be my draft. I, so will be the draft. Um, so will be the league, is what I should be saying. Um, of the draft I'll be doing on Wednesday for my man Cato draft, and that's another twelve man, which I love, and I'm drafting from the fifth spot. So I'll be doing my um, research. Maybe, maybe I'll do research. I don't really know, but. Hey, that's just how it goes. It's how it goes. I enjoy I enjoy fantasy football very much. So. so those are my teams. Should be a fun year of fantasy, but I'll be interesting. I think I took second last year. I took, like, last in a league, and I took, like, fourth in a league. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Some years are off. Some years are on. Can't always be on. But this year I'm going to be on. I'm locked in this year. I'm very happy. Very happy to see all the new guys who will be trying out on their teams. And let me tell you about some new guys that I'll be trying out for a UFC contract this Tuesday on Dana White's Contender Series. That was a good transition. 
Can someone give me credit? That was an excellent transition. I wasn't going to mention it, but it was so good I had to mention it. Moving on. Dana White's Contender Series. Um, I love it every Tuesday. New fighters try and fight and impress Dana White, and he decides by himself if he should give them a contract or not. Quite quite honestly, it's Dana White's Contender Series. We're on Season 7, Episode 5 now. It's been fun. We did really good last week. I actually took first on Verdict for picking. Like, first of thousands of people, I took first. Very happy. Actually, it wasn't the week. It wasn't last week. It was the week before. I stand corrected. 7.2 or 3. Uh, I think it was 7.3. But this week we're on 7.5, Season 7, Episode 5, the 61st installment. Let's dive in. I took notes on the five fights, the ten fighters. Let me give you my breakdown of them all. Kicking off, we have a woman's flyweight bout. Oh, hopefully a woman can get a contract on here. We'll always take new ones. We have Rain Purple Rain Guerrero taking on Dion the Witch Barbosa. Rain is five and one. Dion is five and two. Both five foot six, sixty-six inch reach to sixty-five inch reach in favor of Dion Barbosa. Rain Guerrero fighting out of San Antonio, Texas. She's currently on a four-fight win streak out of her five victories, one knockout, one submission. Hmm. Thirty years old, fought in mostly Southern circuits of fights. Uh, not really much from her personally that's like appetizing to pick, but I don't know. Off to analyze. Her opponent. I just mind blank for a second. Her opponent, Dion Barbosa, five and two from Brazil. Two submissions to her name. She's currently on a two fight winning streak as well. She actually holds a win over Kareen Silva back in 2019. Kareen Silva is currently the, what's she, number 13? She's currently number 15 ranked woman's flyweight in the world. How about that? She also has a lot lost to Josie and Nunes, who is also in the UFC and is like 10 and 1 on like a 9 fight win streak. So she's fought some very good competition, which is why I'm going to give Dion Barbosa the nod over Rain, Purple Rain, Guerrero. Simply because of the experience, simply because she has one more submission win there. I don't know. I just feel like she's fought better competition in Brazil than Rain has in Texas. But I hold no stakes in this, so I mean, I could care less, but yeah, we'll go with Theon Barbosa, but this is, if you guys want to know the stats about these two fighters, now you know, if you want to know, now you know, that's Dana White's favorite saying, moving into our second fight of the evening, featherweight matchup between Gene Silva and Kevin Vallejos, Gene Silva, 10 and 2, his nickname is the Lord Assassin, Kevin, 11 and 0, undefeated, Nickname is El Chino. Kevin El Chino Vallejos. Ooh. Gene, uh, 10 and 2, 8 knockouts, 2 subs to his name, 100% finish record. He's 26 years old, currently on a 7 fight win streak, fighting out of Brazil. Honestly, these guys are very evenly matched up. 5 foot 7, both in height, 69 inch reach to, compared to 68 in favor of Gene. Oh, yeah. Gene may be young at 26, but Kevin Vallejos, 11-0 undefeated, younger at 21 years old. Birthday is December 8th, 2001. He's a Argentina, champion of whatever his promotion is down there. Eight KOs and one sub out of his 11 UFC fights. So he's finished 9 of 11 fights. RIP from the fatal day. Don't know why I said that, but <laughs> yeah, I'm going with Kevin without a doubt, guys. I mean, he's undefeated. He's more finishes, younger maybe. 
I'm riding with Kevin. There's with these contender series fights. There's not much to even look at, because uh, they have no stats. They have no stats to look at. And when I look at their try and find their other stats, it just tells me if they won or lost. But I'll be riding with Kevin Vallejos in this simply because he's undefeated, and I love I love undefeated fighters. There's something exciting about still being undefeated. Plus he's 11 and 0 at 21 years old. He's like what every young fighter wants to be. Moving into our third fight of the evening at middleweight, we have Chad Superman Hainecomb taking on Dylan the Mindless Hulk Budka. Oh my goodness, Dylan. Chad is 9-2. Dylan is 6-2. Four inches in height for Chad, who stands at 6'4". Dylan does have an inch in reach, 75-inch reach to 74-inch reach. He is a switch stance. Chad is an orthodox fighter. Chad is 9-2, fighting out of South Africa. Shout out to the South African boys, for real. Um, three KOs and four subs out of his nine career victories. He's currently on a three-fight winning streak. The 33-year-old actually holds a split decision loss to Ikram Alakaserov. Um, back in 2008, 2018, I believe. Uh, if no one knows, Ikram Alakaserov was originally supposed to fight Paulo Costa at UFC 291. He'll be fighting Nazardine Imbavov at UFC 294. Very high prospect, Ikram Alakaserov is. So, not too bad of a loss, especially by split decision. His opponent, Dylan Budka, 23 years old, 6-2. He's born in Baltimore, currently fights out of Ohio, a wrestler, according to him, as his specialty. One KO and two subs to his name. He's currently coming off of uh, just a win. He's on a one-fight win streak of sorts. I honestly am going to be riding with Chad Hancomb, seeing that he fought, uh, uh, what's his name, Ikram, seeing that he's from South Africa. He could easily join Driscus Duplessis and Cameron Saman on a South African card if they ever get around to that. So, yeah, I'll be going with Chad Hancomb. We'll go with a round two knockout. I mean, he, honestly, I'm rocking with Superman over Hulk. That's just, that's all I'm saying. That's why. Due to your guys' nicknames, this is why I'm picking against you. That's my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. Let's move on to the co-main event, as always, if you want to call it that. It's just the fourth fight of the night. Says <laughs> Ramon the Savage Taveras takes on Sir Hey Sidi. Ramon eight and one, Sir Hey nine and one. Sir Hey has uh, Sir S E R H I Y. Sir Sir Hi Sir Hi. I don't know. We'll see how the broadcast team pronounce it. Ramon 8-1, Sergei 9-1. He's got 3 inches on Ramon and 2 inches in reach. Ramon is from Florida, 29 years old on a 4-fight win streak of his 8 career victories. 4 by knockout, 3 by submission. Good old state of Florida. Gotta love the fighters that come out of there. Like uh, Jorge Masvidal, Colby Covington, Ramon the Savage Taveras. Uh, Sergey Spide, 9-1, fighting out of Canada. Ooh, I love the Canadian fighters, might I say. Five KOs and two subs to his name. He's 27 years old, currently on a five-fight win streak. And he actually lost to Matteo Vogel, who actually fought on last week's episode of the Contender Series. Did not get a contract. Did not even win his fight. I thought he should have won his fight and given him a contract. But if that's, one of your, if that's your only career loss, that is impressive, so... I'll be going with Sergei by round one submission because it's offering a lot of XP on verdict. And plus, I feel like Ramon could get dropped or even get taken down. And Sergei will capitalize. I saw pictures of them both and Sergei Aussie looked a bit more dominant. In my opinion, just, just my thoughts. 
Let's get into the final fight of the evening, the main event of Dana White's Contender Series. Honestly, I don't like to spend too much time in Dana White's Contender Series, especially when we have UFC Paris to talk about, but we'll talk about this main event because it should be super, super good. In the light heavyweight division, we have Bruno, Bruno Lopez, and Brenson the Gorilla Ribeiro. Bruno is 11 and 0, Brenson 14 and 5 with a no contest. Brenson's got uh, inch in height, 6 foot 3 to 6 foot 2, and a notable 6 inches in reach, 81 inch reach to 75 inch reach. Both fighting out of the 205 weight class, um, both orthodox fighters as well for their stance. Bruno is an LFA champion. He's from Brazil, undefeated, five KOs and four subs of those fights. Only 30 years old. He actually holds a win over Gregory Rodriguez. That's right, Robocop, one of the top middleweights on the active UFC roster. Coming off a huge win not too long ago against Dennis Tolulin, at UFC 292. Whew. Bruno looks dominant. He's a former champion of a different promotion, fought in some good guys, and has got the finishes. His opponent, Brenson Ribeiro, 8 KOs and 6 submissions of his 14 career victories, 100% finish rate. He also fights out of Brazil, currently on a two-fight win streak. The 27-year-old, I can't, I can't tell, he looks like he's related to Claudio Ribeiro, former, another UFC fighter currently in the UFC, but I could not find anything if they were related, so I don't think they are. Man, let me tell you guys, that 6 inches in reach is going to be very notable for Ribeiro. But I don't think it'll matter. Bruno Lopez has been undefeated up until this point, And I think he stays this way with a round one knockout. I mean, he's already got five KOs. Why not add a six? Love to see it. My pick is Bruno Lopez. So, yeah, that's all the that's all the Daywitz Contender Series fights. Just five fights. I hope you were all able to get a bit of background on them all. But my picks, I'm going with Dion Barbosa by decision uh, over Rain Guerrero. I got Kevin Vallejos over Gene Silva by decision. I'm going with Chad Hancomb over Dylan Budka by round two knockout. I'm going with Serhei Spide, Serhei Cide over Ramon the Savage Taveras by round one submission. And I'm going with Bruno Lopez over Brenson Ribeiro. So yeah, lots of lots of fun with all those names and nicknames, especially all the notes I take. I take so many notes on these guys, it's crazy. I always like to stay informed on who uh, who's fighting especially for Dan White's Contender Series. I hope I'll be able to watch it. I think I have my interview, my interview, my, actually I will be interviewing a guest tomorrow. So I, I think I do have my podcast set up for 4 p.m. tomorrow. Be able to make dinner afterwards and then watch Dan White's Contender Series and then I might go to the gym. We'll see how we're feeling. But yeah, that's Dan White's Contender Series, uh, episode 5. I encourage everyone to watch it and follow me on Verdict at ZR2002. And follow me on Instagram, Zach underscore Ruger. I'm always posting about all this stuff. But yes, let's get into the main event, the final dish, the final thing I'm going to touch on for the podcast. I love talking about it every single episode. It's either the preview or it's the post. This time, it's the post UFC Paris recap review. That is right. It went down this past Saturday. It was absolutely fantastic. I enjoyed every little bit out of it, so we're going to be talking about that with you guys in a second, but I do need a quick break to do some things. I'll be back in an instant for you guys, for me, maybe a little while longer. Stay with me. And we're back, like we never left, as always. To recap, UFC Paris, it went down this weekend at, uh, what was it, Saturday, September 2nd, I think it was? I think it was the 2nd. Man, it was amazing. We did excellent on picks, 5-1 and one on the main card. 
nine and two on the entire card. Now for all time, all main card picks, we are 474 and 335. So we're up over 140 now, uh, or 139, my bad. And for the year, we're 103 and 58 for main card predictions. Super fun event. Let's dive into it top to bottom. We start off the night with Jacqueline Cavalcante taking on Paris's own Zara Fern. Cavalcante just had her number. I mean, round number one, significant strikes, 36 to 5. Round two, 46 to 10. Zayer kind of turned it on in round three, but still got outstruck 44 to 24. I mean, it was it was a ridiculous volume. I mean, she threw 222 total strikes, landed 127 of them. Jacqueline just had Zayer's number through all three rounds and gets the 30-27 unanimous decision. She improves the 6-1, and one, and welcome to the UFC, Cavalcanti. Happy to have it. As for Zara Farron, she is now 0-4 in the UFC. 6-6 six and six professional record. You will never see Zara Farron in the UFC again. I can promise you that. As for Jacqueline, man, I will take it. I think they fought at a woman's bantamweight, maybe? I can't recall, but hey, we'll have you. Moving on to Farid Basharat versus Cledson Rodriguez. Farid gets the round one arm triangle submission from side control. Happy for Farid. He improves to 11-0, 2-0 in the UFC. 3-0 if you include the Contender Series. So yeah, interesting interesting fight. It would appear that Cledson was actually getting the advantage on the str- on the feet. Uh, seven significant strikes to four, but I mean total strikes, 25 for each man. Two for five on takedowns for three minutes and 15 seconds of control time. So only a minute of this fight was not Farid having control. Uh, but hey, Farid gets it done. Gets our first submission of the night. And honestly, I'd have given my boy. Um, I'd have given him a performance bonus. Why not? I mean, very impressive stuff for him. But honestly, the um, the early prelims are always neglected. Uh, Clinton Rodriguez now falls to one and two in the UFC. I assume they'll have him back. He's eight and three now. Shouldn't hurt him too much. As for Farid, he wants he wants a top fifteen guy at bantamweight. Um, who could we give him? Who could we give him? Maybe the loser of Montel Jackson and um, oh frick, what's his name? Chris Gutierrez. I like that. The loser of that for Farid Basharat. Yeah, I got Farid Basharat and his brother Javid, both in bantamweight division. Two absolute killers. Happy Farid gets his first UFC finish. Moving on to the women's bantamweight division to one of the more interesting decisions of the night. Nora Cornell beats Jocelyn Edwards by unanimous decision. 30-27-30-27-29-28. Let me just hit you guys with the total totals for the fight. Nora lands more significant strikes, 40-18. to 18. Total strikes, 85-75. to 75. Jocelyn outgrapples her, goes 5-8 for eight on takedowns for 8 minutes and 42 seconds of control time. So she controlled over half this fight. Now, I did pick Nora, so I was happy when she won. But, okay, round one, Jocelyn lands three minutes of control time. Okay? Nora did land more on the feet, but Jocelyn had way more ground control time. Round two, same story. Jocelyn, two minutes, 47 seconds of control time. A reversal by Nora. She was on top for a bit. But Jocelyn goes three for three on takedowns and lands more, doubles her total strikes. Round three, though, Nora lands 20 significant strikes to seven, doubles her total strikes, 40 to 20. But Jocelyn does get him two minutes and 51 seconds of control time off of one takedown. Now, the striking did look good for Nora. Was looking, She was looking way better in the striking department than Jocelyn. 
But the sheer control from Jocelyn, I thought would have given her at least a one judge's decision, but no, every all judges scored for Nora. And this was clearly France's hometown advantage. But hey, I'm not mad. Jocelyn did nothing impressive in the fight. And uh, Nora, she's now 7-1. and one. Good for her. As for Jocelyn Edwards, this snaps a three-fight winning streak for her, so that really sucks as she moves to 3-3 three and three in the UFC. Actually, 4-3. and three. My bad, Jocelyn. I'm sure they'll keep her around, but nothing impressive from these two ladies. I actually don't even know. Moving on to welterweight, Lusa took on Rise McKee, and I was high on Rise for this fight. Unfortunately, he was not ready to grapple. Total strikes, um, 98 to 77 in favor of Angelusa. That was significant strikes, actually. Total strikes, 124 to 90 in favor of Angelusa. As Ange goes 6 for 10 on takedown, 60%, landing 6 minutes of control time for the fight. Round 1, Ange would land 1 takedown, um, just under a minute of control time. He was outstriking him 2. Round 2, Ange went crazy, 54 significant strikes to 16. And also going three for three on takedowns and dominated round number two. And the one round that Rice could have won was probably the round three. He out significant struck him 32 to 12. Total struck him 43 to 24. And despite being taken down twice for two minutes and 27 seconds of control time in favor of Lusa, Rise was able to look good. But man, it's the grappling that got it done for Angelusa. He's now on a two fight win streak. And he's been training with Michael Chandler. So very impressive stuff from him. As for Rise McKee, he now falls to 13 and 5, 0 and 3 now in the UFC. Probably won't be invited back. If you get out grappled that badly, you probably won't come back. But man, Andrew's picking him up, slamming him to the ground. And even there's just one point, he just shot for a normal takedown and just took him out with these. Rise didn't even put up a fight. Good job, Ange. Happy to have you at Welterweight. You could be a problem. Let's move into our final Bantamweight fight of the night. And oh man, Kalen Kaolin Lone. Wow. He was flipping off the crowd at the weigh-ins, and he had to eat his words as Taylor Lapalouz beats him. The hometown boy gets it done. Happy for him. Round one, kicking off. Kalen landed one takedown a minute and 47 seconds of control time. Significant strikes, though, in favor of Taylor, 30 to 19. Round two, Taylor lands more significant strikes, 19 to 8, but one takedown, two minutes and 55 seconds of control time. Kalen was killing it on the ground. Round three, though. Taylor, 35 significant strikes to 21 in favor of Taylor Lupus. 0 for 8 on takedowns for Kalen Lorraine. Did get a minute and 44 seconds of control time. So Kalen goes 2 for 11 on takedowns for 6 minutes and 27, 26 seconds of control time. But the total strikes don't lie. Taylor gets it done in the striking department. And picks up the unanimous decision, 29-28, across the board. And Cowlin had to eat his words. Now 8-1, that was his first professional loss. As for Taylor Lapalouse, on a little two-fight winning streak now. He's now 4-1, and one actually, in the UFC. This was his first UFC fight since 2016. Happy for you, Taylor, especially since he got it done in Paris. That's right, we go 4-1. and one. On the prelims, some decent prelims. I'll say the best moment was definitely Farid Basharat winning. Um, the closest thing to a fight of the night we got was probably the Angelus or McKees fight. But hey, Taylor Lapalous picking up the win. And at this point, I think French fighters were two and one, I believe. Because I think there were nine fighters on the card. I think. How many French? How did French do in it? They went one, two, three, four, five, 
six, seven. Yeah, they went seven and two. One of the fights, two French fighters were fighting each other, which is what we're just going to talk about. And Zara Farron lost because she sucks. Okay. Starting off with our first performance bonus of the night as Morgan Sharir fought Manolo Zaccini. And that's right. He gets the round one TKO via body kicks. It was absolutely crazy. Morgan was just ripping Manolo with the body kicks. He ate one big one. I thought the ref was going to stop it. He then blocked another and then ate one more big one, dropped to the ground, lands some follow-up punches, and that was that. Morgan Shareer improves to 19-9. and The last pirate picks up his first UFC victory in impressive fashion. As for Manolo Zaccini, he falls to 11-4. and But man, Morgan was on fire. He got the French crowd roaring. First off, can I just say this was one of my favorite UFC crowds ever. The French brought the energy to... Paris events are now 2-0. and France is 2-0 and now for events. This was so much fun, and I enjoyed it a lot. Morgan, big win in the featherweight division. We're happy to have you. Definitely come back for another one. As for Manolo, ugh, hopefully, hopefully your ribs aren't too broken. Let's move on to another French fight. This was France versus France as William Gomez fought Giannis Gamori. This was a weird one, guys. This was a very odd fight. So let me just say, the, up until the, so William Gomez gets a round three TKO, be a body kick, okay. But let's start with round one. William Gomez outstrikes him. Fight was fought on the feet, very competitive. Twenty-seven significant strikes to sixteen. William wins round one. Round two, William Gomez fourteen significant strikes to eight. Nineteen total strikes to fifteen. Giannis went over to one takedowns. Minute and thirty-two seconds of control time. William had fifty-five seconds of control time. With two submission attempts, William wins round two. So William's already up 2-0 here, okay? Round three. We are, what are we into round three? We're about two minutes into round three, two, two, two minutes, 15 seconds. William's outlanding him a bit more. Uh, 0 for 2 on takedowns for Giannis. And William hits him with a body kick that was very close to his lower region. Very close on the belt. Giannis steps back, expecting a call. Instead, the ref calls off the fight. This was very odd. The replay, if you watch it, the replay was very close. It looks like he might have nicked the cup, but it looked like it was in the legal area. Goes down as a finish for William Gomez, around three TKO, but just a very odd ending. But I will say, it doesn't make me mad because William was on his way to a decision. I mean, Giannis was offering him nothing. So it is what it is. But also, I picked William, so I was super happy he won. Giannis falls to 12-2, but as for William, Gomez improves to 13-2 and, and is now 3-0 in the UFC. Congratulations. He's also 2-0 in Paris. Very happy for you, William. Well, definitely got to have the, them back. And I mean, William Gomez, Morgan Shareer, I like I like both those fighters, but I honestly think Morgan Shareer versus um, Giannis Guamari. We could do another France versus France fight for Giannis. But I don't know if they all train together. I don't really know the relationship with all of them, but... Good finish for um, William. Just, I, I'd say I'd rather say good fight fought by William, not good finish, because it was an awkward finish. Let's get into our first ranked fighter of the night as Volkan Ozdemir beat Bogdan Guskov via round one rear naked choke. Volkan's first submission victory in eleven years. Oh, I wish I would have known the betting lines for this. Man, just from the get-go, I was not confident by Bogdan Guskov pick. He looked way better on the stat sheets than he did when he got in the octagon. Just looked like a... What are those things from um, The Hobbit? Those evil things. Like um, 
orcs. He looked like an orc, Oz. He looked like a pale white orc. And, man, Volkan was just out striking him. He dropped him, got on his back, strapped up a nasty rear naked choke from the back. And that was it, man. Good win for Volkan. Bogdan falls to 14-3. I don't think we should even have him back. He did not look good. But I will say, taking on someone like Volkan Ozdemir, super impressive. Volkan improves to 19-7. and His nickname, No Time, stays intact. Happy for him. First UFC submission. I mean, first finish since 2019. His first win since July 2022. First win of the year, actually, for Volkan. Wow, good for him. He's currently ranked number nine. And honestly, Anthony Smith at eight. I'd put Volkan past Anthony Smith just because Anthony fought a split decision and Volkan got a guy out of there in three and a half minutes. Good job, Volkan. He gets a perf- Oh my gosh, they didn't give him a performance bonus. Man, he definitely should have gotten a performance bonus. P- poor Volkan. Impressive performance. I know it was impressive. Sucks, sucks to be Bogdan. So this is, only my, this is my only incorrect pick on the main card. And only my second fight I didn't pick on the pre, on the whole card. So, I mean, man, I consider that pretty good. But Volkan, you surprised me. Bogdan, you let me down. You orc. You orc. All right, let's get into the top three fights. I mean, I guess this one was super good. It was our fight of the night as Benoit Saint-Denis took on Tiago Moises. And this was entertaining from the get-go. Round one, man, let me just tell you, Benoit is a killer. 41 significant strikes to 18. Total strikes, 57 to 19. Goes one for three on takedowns for two minutes and 18 seconds of control time. Tiago had one submission attempt, but I mean, it wasn't really much. Benoit had him busted open, landing on him. And heading into round two, it was not looking good. And round two was not kind. Four minutes and 44 seconds, the fight lasted into round two. Benoit landed 60 significant strikes to 6, 66 total strikes to 8, goes 4 for 6 on takedowns for 3 minutes of control time. Tiago went 1 of 2 on takedowns for 14 seconds of control time. I mean, Benoit was in control. He improves to 12 and 1. Four fight winning streak now in the UFC, all four finishes. Who he's a killer. As for Tiago, this snapped a two fight winning streak for him, but man, it he, he, he got 50K because it was a fight of the night. But, I mean, Benoit Saint-Denis just an absolute dog. Get him in the lightweight rankings. My goodness. I love this fighter. Number 15, Diego Ferreira. Number 14, Matt Favola. Number 13, Ronald Moicano. Number 12, Jalen Turner. Number 11, Rafael Desandros. Number 10, Grant Dawson. Even Dan Hooker at 9. I don't care who it is. I want to see Benoit in the rankings. He is an absolute killer. He is now 2-0 in Paris. My goodness. Both both. Perform, both performance bonuses. He's made 100K in bonuses. Well, he's in Paris, man. Good for Benoit. I loved it. He was just killing him. And this fight could have been stopped at so many different points. I don't know what the ref was on. Hey, this is what it is. I was so happy he won, man. Benoit's one of my favorite fighters, personally. One of, them, uh, one of my unranked favorite fighters, if someone were to ask me. But yes, let's 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 stop talking about Benoit Saint Denis. I mean, we could go all about him. His cool tattoo, his fighting style. He's got power. He's got excellent takedowns. We love Benoit Saint Denis. Also reminds me of Red Dead Redemption and from uh, what is it Saint Denis, <laughs> the one town you know the game you know what I'm talking about. Actually, in gaming news, apparently Red Dead Redemption Three is in de- not in development, but is supposed to take place. They're gonna start working on it after um, GTA Six drops. So, I mean, expect that in 2032 when you can get Red Dead Redemption 3. Gosh, I'll be, like, in my 30s. Wow. <laughs> Wonderful. 
let's uh, let's move into our co-main event: Manon Fiorat versus Rose Namajunas in the women's flyweight division. This was Rose's debut at the weight. Man, look at the stats. Very interesting. As Manon Fiorat um, was actually out significant struck sixty to fifty eight by Rose. Out total struck her sixty two to sixty. Rose goes 0 for 6 on takedowns for 25 seconds of control time. Manning goes 0 for 1 on takedowns for 24 seconds of control time. So very even fight. Round 1, Rose outstruck her by 5. So you could have maybe given Rose them number 1. I personally gave Manning round 1. Round 2, though, Manning outstriking her 19 to 15. Insignificant strikes, 23 to 15. Uh, I'll say I gave Manning round 2. And round 3, Rose beat her by 1 significant strike. But I had Manon win in all three rounds. Just I, just the damage, just the punches. Maybe it was the crowd. But yeah, the judges, 30-27, um, 29-28, 29-28, all in favor of Manon Fiora. And man, Rosalind Mews actually broke her finger in round one. It looked nasty. You should check that out on her Insta. But good job to Manon Fiora. I mean, she just had her number tonight. It may say that Rosalind had more strikes, but... Manning got it done. She's now 6-0 and in the UFC, 11-1 and professionally. Super impressive. I mean, all all our wins. Tabitha Ritchie, Myra Buenosilva, Jennifer Mike, Shagan, and now Rose Yunus. So impressive. I love it. As for Rose, she's now on a two-fight losing streak. That's crazy. Two-fight losing streak. And this is it. Since 2020, she's only had five fights. She's had five fights in what? It's going to be almost four years now. All of 2020. In 2020, she had one fight. In 2021, she had two fights. In 2022, one fight. 2023, one fight. I don't know what's next for Rose. But Rose is currently ranked number four in the women's pound for pound. Man, if you're out, was at 10. So she's got to take that spot or at least move up to the four to six range. And as for um, women's strawweight rankings, I'd drop Rose Namajunas down like two spots. I'd move Jan Cheonen up to the number two contender and Tatiana Suarez up to the number three contender. And as for women's flyweight, I mean, man, if you're out, Aaron Blanchfield... I don't know who had the more impressive performance. I'm torn. I'm honestly torn. I, I honestly feel that Manon put on a better performance against Rose than Aaron did against Talia Santos. I, I unfortunately think that Manon and Aaron Blanchfield might have to fight to see who fights for the belt next. Because, I mean, Grasso and Shevchenko, it's coming up under two weeks. I, I don't know how that fight's going to play out. But if Valentino wins... They might have to do a rematch. I hope not. But if Alexa Grasso wins, there, there's no history with Aaron or with Manon. It's going to be a toss-up. My money would probably be on Manon Fiora, personally. But I would not be mad if they went with Aaron. It's 50-50. They both just won close fights. They, they were impressive in close fights. That's all I can say. But happy happy for Manon. Plus, I picked her. And this was her first fight in Paris. She missed the card last year, sadly. Happy that uh, she got the win. Let's move into our main event. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This 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 fight did things to me. I was going ballistic. Cyril Gaon just absolutely killed Sergey Spivak, and I knew he freaking would. Round two TKO. We predicted it. Yeah, I'm telling you guys, we have been on a heater. I've predicted every single main event correctly since UFC 290. I've been on absolute heater, and if I predict this next one, um, if I predict UFC 293 correctly, I will have gone two straight months. That's probably a personal best for me. Um, but yes, Cyril gone, set records for significant strike differential in the heavyweight division. Let's talk about round one. 
Sergey had one attempt at a takedown. Shogun showed amazing takedown defense. 51 significant strikes to 7 at a 73% land rate. Total strikes 52 to 7. I mean, Shogun was just piecing up Sergey Spivak, especially to the body. The body was wide open for him. My goodness. Round 2, 58 significant strikes to 4. Same amount for total strikes at a 66% land rate. For the fight, Sergey landed 11 significant strikes, the same for total strikes, and for significant strikes, 109 for Shogun, 110 uh, total strikes. I mean, he outlanded him by 99 total strikes. I just, I can't believe it. It was absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. And he, he landed 109 significant strikes. In 8 minutes and 44 seconds. That's so impressive. Some people don't even land that across 5 rounds. Oh my goodness. Cyril Gan, you absolute beast. Bonga Min bouncing back after his loss to John Jones. His home is actually burglarized. Burglarized. Did I say that right? I think I did. After his fight on, um, on, um, this, this fight that I'm talking about, his home was burglarized, and they took over $150,000 worth of belongings, including Rolex watches, designer clothes, the, the elect appliances, electronics. Poor Shogun, but he got paid 50 extra Gs. They'll track down those hooligans and send them to a Serbian jail. Why Serbia? I have no idea. But, um, yeah, Bangamai coming off that loss to John Jones. He bounced back, and he's now 2-0 in Paris with two KOs. I freaking love it, man. I love it. His only career losses, as I said, are to Francis Ngannou and John Jones, two of the greatest heavyweights we've ever seen. Okay? They're both fighting later this year. Francis is actually, he's been looking pretty good in his training footage. Um, man, he's been training with Mike Tyson. Tyson Fury, you may be in for a long night. Could be the opposite way, too. As for John Jones, he'll be taking on Stipe Miocic. Man, I, he's going to kill Stipe. I don't know. That's all I can see. Sergey Spivak, his three-fight winning streak, three-fight finish streak, gets snapped. But now his only, his only losses in the, his only losses since 2020 are to Marcin Tabira, Tom Aspinall, and Cyril Gan. So not too bad of names. As far as the rankings go, Cyril Gan can stay at the number two spot. I'd honestly drop Sergey Spivak down to like the number nine spot personally i'd move volkov up to seven halton almeida up to eight but yeah good win for cyril gone so happy for him we love cyril gone here we love cyril gone on the surprise jet podcast that's one of the fairs i would love to meet is cyril gone the only time i haven't picked cyril gone is when he fought francis Ngannou. other than that i even predicted him to beat john jones that's how confident i am in cyril gone but he looked like he's improved a bunch he's now training really hard and what, what should be next is the question. I, w I've been th I was thinking about that for Rose Namajunas. I honestly don't know what's next for Rose. Personally, maybe just fight down in the rankings. But as for Cyril Gaon, who does he fight? I think it's Tom Aspinall. I think Cyril Gaon versus Tom Aspinall is a perfect fight. It sucks because I like both those guys. It's going to be a competitive fight. But I think that's next. Pavlovich should be next for the belt. Pavlovich has been on a tear. I think Pavlovich knocks out Gaon and Aspinall. But Sergey Sergey will be the backup for UFC 295. But I, re I really believe that Gone versus Aspinall should be the move. As for Sergey Spivak, I mean him him versus who? Maybe Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Maybe loser of Ty Tuivasa and Alexander Volkov. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what's next for him. But yes, good job, Sergey Gone. 
Definitely worthy of a performance bonus, maybe even the most impressive performance of the night. UFC Paris gets a, t- I'll give it a 9.5 out of 10. I don't like throwing 10 out of 10s out too often, but this was an amazing event. Close to perfect. So much fun. Cannot wait until we go to France next year, maybe even before that. But yes, we did very good on picks. Very good watching it. So much fun. And when I talk to you guys, um, not next, but next time we talk about UFC, we'll be going over UFC 293, previewing the whole card. It's certainly an interesting one for being a pay-per-view, but it should be super fun. Going down in Sydney, Australia, New South Wales, September 9th. So much fun. But yes, tomorrow, if everything goes according to plan, we should be interviewing a guest. That episode might be up tomorrow night, might be up Wednesday, we'll see. And I'm going to try and record an episode Thursday. I have a short window on when I can record Thursday. So we'll see. I got classes. I got to head over for the NFL game. Got to go to the gym. We'll go work on everything. But yes, thank you all for listening. This was such a fun episode. I I just enjoyed talking. I mean, MCU Phase 4 rankings. I'll find something else that we can rank. Uh, Talking about UFC Paris. I always love talking about the UFC events. Previewing Dana White's Contender Series has kind of become a staple. It's going to suck when that ends. Um, what else, what else did we talk about? We talked a little bit about UFC 5 reveal dropping, some news about, um, Lorsenko, I mean, my fancy football teams, the opening NFL game, so much stuff we talked about, but I did want to end this, um, episode actually with a little goodbye to a Vikings legend, Kyle Rudolph, officially retired, he was a two-time Pro Bowl tight end, uh, 33 years old, he spent almost all of his time with the Vikings. I mean, he had a little stint with, um, gosh, I don't even remember who it was. Was it the Cardinals? I don't even know. I think it was the Buccaneers, maybe. But loved him on the Vikings, and one of the greatest tight ends of Vikings history. So fun. Loved him. Uh, wish him nothing but the best in retirement. But that's how we're going to end it. A farewell to Kyle Rudolph, and a farewell to you guys. We'll be back later this week with some new episodes. Thank you all for listening. I hope you were surprised. I hope my jabs weren't too powerful with UFC information. Hope everyone has a blessed week, and I'll catch you guys later. God bless.